Good morning, church. Whoa, all right. Wow. I was filled with hope this week. I was absolutely filled with hope. My situation was this. From last Monday night on through pretty much all the way on Thursday, I was out. I was out with the flu, on my back, bad. And uh, I couldn't do anything that I was meant to do. I had to cancel my discipleship training class or postpone until this Tuesday. I couldn't, we cancel home group that meets in our house. We don't want anybody catching this stuff. Plus, I didn't want anybody coming staring at me in bed. And uh, so it was that bad. I was out. But what happened by being out was that on Wednesday morning, as I was out and trying to distract myself from my misery, I turned the television on. And I watched the funeral of President Bush. And in that, watching that funeral, it just captured me. I was filled with hope. Were you, who, who saw some of that and saw the incredible Christian witness on Wednesday and then again on Thursday when they carried him to Texas in the service there? I was just filled with hope as these people came together and just, these people were talking about heaven. These news commentators were talking about heaven. I was filled with hope. All these speakers and, and so many of the commentators were talking about the character of President Bush, weren't they? They were focusing on his character. As a friend who sticks closer, closer than a brother, as a person of humility. And then the thing that just really filled me with hope was seeing all those former presidents and all those politicians sitting together. To see almost all of them stand up and read the Apostles' Creed. I was just filled with hope. One of the reasons I, I feel compelled to focus on hope during this Advent season is because of the political scenery. It's hard to have hope, isn't it? And I was just filled with a fresh hope. So as we go into the second Sunday of Advent and we let this candle of preparation, we prepare our hearts to worship the King, I just want to bring that word back to your mind. Hope. Hope. There's hope in Christ. There's hope in God. There's hope in the Word of God. Last week we talked about hope in the darkness. We focused on that passage from Isaiah, the people walking in darkness have seen a great what? Light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. For unto us is, a son is given, right? Unto us a child is born. He'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And into their darkness, the light just, just came bursting, piercing their darkness and brought hope. And from that perspective, it was the confident assurance that God has your future in his hands. No matter how dark it is, he wants to pierce that darkness, that despair that the devil tries to traffic in, in your life, and he wants to bring that hope, that confident assurance, not a wish, the confident assurance 
that God has your future in his hands. Today, as we move on to the second passage in the Advent series, and we talk about hope some more, there arose this week in my study another, another definition of hope. And hope is the sense of anticipation that an important potential is about to be realized. You know that I got a lot of hope in that. I got a lot of hope. You look at some, and it's that sense, that wondrous sense of anticipation that an important potential is in there just ready to be birthed, given life. We use it in common language. Physicians, sometimes they say they have hope in the new vaccine or the new cancer treatment, right? We have hope for this course of treatment. We, they see in it a, a potential, a potential, and they have hope in it. Sometimes we have hope in a newly elected congressman. We, we just have hope, right? I, I, I see potential for something here. I have hope. Sometimes some of you have had hope in the arrival of a new quarterback, right? I mean, Tom Brady coming to the Browns or something. You know, you could just, you could just have hope, right? Hope, hope, finally. We could have hope. And you see, you just see in a situation, you see a potential in there that's about to be realized. And that's a kind of hope, isn't it? And so today, as we move on to this second passage that Jamie just so beautifully read for us from Mark chapter 1, we, we move to this second definition of hope. And, and the, the star of this show in Mark chapter 1 is John the Baptist. And uh, John came demanding a repentance, didn't he? A repentance as a way of preparing for the coming of Christ. And the second candle is sometimes called the candle of preparation. As we focus on this passage and how John's message, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent for the kingdom of God is near. It, it calls us to a kind of preparation, doesn't it? It calls us to do something on the inside to get ready for Christ. John the Baptist was the preparer. He was the one who, he was the advance man who came ahead of Christ to make the high places low and the low places high, to make a way for Jesus to then come into the world and announce the redemptive work of, of the Father into our lives. But there had to be a preparation. And so he was the preparer. And with it, he, he brings a profound message of hope. Now, it may not seem that way at first blush when you read about this John the Baptist guy, right? He's kind of a weird guy, right? And his message was pretty austere. It was, repent. You can, you can just kind of, I mean, hear him yelling it, can't you? Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And it makes you a little nervous, doesn't it? Just to hear him shout, proclaim that message of repentance. Um, but there's great hope in this message that stems from God's call to repentance. The stern message from John the Baptist is maybe perhaps not immediately seen as a message of hope, but I want you to think about this. If hope, if one, if one form of hope is that wonderful sense of anticipation that a potential is about to be realized, then you could see how, 
how John's call to repentance would give rise to that. Um, let, me, let me explain a couple of ways. First, I think hope is found within the message of repentance. Right there, within the message of repentance, we can find hope. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. What I'm saying is that if God is continuing to call you out of your sin, if there's a call to repentance, if God is continuing to call you out of your sin, then he surely must see untapped potential in you that is being blocked by the very sin for which he's demanding your repentance. Does that make sense? So the fact that God is continuing to bring that that sense of conviction into our lives for for the stuff that's got to go, the stuff that we hold on to that blocks the development of what God sees in us, the fact that he says, repent, man, repent. And even if he's shouting it to you sometimes, repent, that's, that's a good thing because he sees something in you that is being blocked by the thing for which he is calling you to repent. Does that make sense? This is a message of hope when God says, repent, because it shows there's something inside of you. Why does a coach yell at his or her players? Dylan, have you ever been yelled at by a coach? Plenty of times. You know why he yells at you? You know the answer to this is because he sees the potential in you that you're not finding yet. Scoon over! Down goes the clipboard, right? Off come the head, uh, headset. what I tell you? Follow the A-gap! Well, how many times have I told you? Follow your blocker! And you're like... Doesn't he like me? He loves you. He's so glad to have you. But he sees in you an unrealized potential. You know, it's when the coach stops yelling at you that you need to get nervous. Right? It's when the coach stops yelling. The message is repent. Repent because God sees in you. He has hope for you. This is what God does. You know, the first page of the Bible, the earth was formless. It was void. It was dark. And God looked at that, and what did he do? He said, I see some, something in here that's got to come out. And so by the word of his mouth, he said, let there be light. That's what God does. He looks at Stuff that doesn't look like much and says, oh, yeah, perfect. I see in you a potential. And I see what's blocking it. So you need to repent of that so that can, that can come. As hope. Seeing this potential that's about to be realized. When God chose Israel smallest people he knew who were going to come and go with him. When did he yell, repent, when he said, return to me, come back? Because he still saw the potential in them. Hope says, hope says, I see something in there. Hope says, I see something. In you. And repentance says, so let's clear out the rubble. 
Let's clear that stuff out. Let's get that stuff gone. I call you to repentance, to turn to me, not to that. Turn to me Let's, so we can clear that stuff out. That's hope. I've always become a better version of myself when I've responded to the Spirit's call to repent. Always. 100% of the time. Some actions that I was permitting in my life, perhaps, and God said, repent. Repent. Some attitude that I was rationalizing, justifying. Repent. I've had to do plenty of repentance. And I've always become a better version of myself when I've responded to the Spirit's call to repent. Because, you know, when God's saying this, what's he saying? He's saying, Paquette, there's, why? You have so much I've given you. I've sown so much into you. This has got to go. You've got to stop thinking that way. You've got to stop saying that, man. Repent. Anybody know what I'm talking about? So hope, first of all, is found right within the message itself. Hope, I think, is also found within in the people that God calls. Let's talk about this John the Baptist guy, all right? I mean, strange from the get-go, right? John the Baptist was, as some of you may know, many of you perhaps, was a Nazarite. Now, Nazarite, you're going to find the description of that in Numbers chapter 6, and a Nazarite was a person who had taken a very special vow to the Lord with a real passionate devotion to the Lord. They were setting themselves apart completely to serve the Lord. And this could be a lifetime vow, which was unusual, or it could be a vow for a period of time, the Nazarite vow. And all the terms of being a Nazarite are spelled out for us in, uh, in Numbers chapter 6. There are three Nazarites that are listed in Scripture. There was Samuel, there was Samson, and then there's John the Baptist are described as Nazarites. So you know Samson, Samson and Delilah, that whole deal uh, with the cutting of the hair and all that stuff. He was a Nazarite as well. Now what's significant about that is that the Nazarites, when they devoted themselves to God, they made these three commitments, whether it was a lifelong Lifelong uh, vow, Nazarite vow, or a vow for a period of time, they made these three commitments. That they would drink no wine, no fermented, no the fruit of the vine, but not touch their lips. That they would not go near a dead body. That was a big deal in the Old Testament. They had to be cleansed after that. And, they said, and it said, even if a member of your own family dies, you can't go to the funeral. This was a Nazarite. And uh, the third the third vow they were taking, or commitment they were making as part of this vow, was that they wouldn't cut their hair. They would not cut their hair. And so, a person with a, with a life vow, taking a lifetime Nazarite vow, you know, the hair could get pretty long, right? This is John the Baptist. And these were the commitments that he had taken. And uh, these, these people who had taken Nazarite vows, especially those who had taken the... the um, the lifetime vow, were respected on the order of a high priest. They were, you know, in the high priest in the Old Testament, they, they got that level of respect, which helps to explain why in, Matthew, in the Matthew passage about John the Baptist, and he was not only announcing the repentance message, but 
He was baptizing, of course. And in Matthew, it says that the Pharisees came to him to be baptized. Do you remember that? And he said, hey, what do you think you're doing here? Produce fruit in keeping with your repentance, and then we'll talk about getting you in the water. Well, even the Pharisees were coming to John the Baptist because of his clear Nazarite vow that he had taken. And he was respected on the order of a high priest. There are actually some instances where Nazarite, uh, people who had taken lifetime Nazarite vows, were allowed to enter into the Holy of Holies, which was only possible for the high priest. So I just want to kind of frame this up in your mind uh, of who John the Baptist was. But John the Baptist was like Nazarite on steroids, right? Because there was no, there's no call to how you must dress. You don't, you don't dress, and you don't have to eat bugs, right? I, he ate locusts, right? That's not a part of, of he, he was like, he was just gone for God, right? That's, he just lived and breathed God. And he was a weird dude. He, was a, he would have been tough at parties, right? I mean, he, he's just a strange person. But that message of hope comes out of that, doesn't it? That in his strangeness, God says, oh, that's exactly, what, that's exactly what I want to start with right there. And from you, I will bring out this tremendous potential. You think about Abraham in the Old Testament. He was an idol worshiper in the land of the Chaldeans. God looked at him and said, perfect. Just the man I'm looking for. Can you hear the hope in that? Man, if I could just get you to repent from your idol worship, then we could begin to see the, the you could be, the, you could, Abraham, you could be the father of many nations. What? And that, that's a message. And the people God chose, if you think about Moses, hello, right? Stuttering Moses, and he's supposed to announce the, the leading of the Lord to all of Israel? He had excuses. He uh, had already murdered an Egyptian, right? He wasn't even good at it. He buried him in the sand and like the toe, toe was sticking up or something and somebody saw it. He wasn't good at stuff that he did. And God said, perfect. You see the hope in that? You just keep reading through. You think about David. I mean, on his best day, he was a man after God's own heart, yes? On his worst day, he's a murderous adulterer. God says, yes, the man I'm looking for. You see the hope in that? You see the hope? How about Gideon? How about Gideon? I'm the smallest man in the smallest clan. God calls him. He says, Gideon, mighty warrior. Mighty warrior. I'm the smallest man in the smallest clan. Super inferiority complex. God says, perfect. Perfect. You're the hope in that? Pick any of the 12 disciples, right? Perfect. Tax collector. Matthew, come on. Perfect. Everybody hates you? Excellent. Excellent. How about Saul of Tarsus? The Apostle Paul. He stood present overseeing the stoning of Stephen. He was on his way to Damascus to round up some more Christians so he could persecute them, perhaps execute them. God says, just the man I'm looking for. But you're going to have to repent. 
I mean, the message of hope is in right there in, in the people God chooses in the Bible. Ephesians 2.10 says that we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. This message from John the Baptist is that God has sown something in you, and he wants it back. God has sown something in you, Trey, and he wants it back. But you're going to have to repent. God has sown something in you, Mr. Jenkins. He's sown a rich heritage of faith inside of you, and he wants it back. But you're going to have to repent. Rachel, God has sown something in you. God has sown something in you, dear. And it's still there. And God wants it back. But you're going to have to repent. I don't know of what, and I didn't pick on the three of you because I know something, all right? I don't know anything. You're going to have to work out the details of the repentance with the Lord. Mark, God has sown something in you. He wants it back. You're God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. I think this morning he's coming calling for that, for everybody. He wants it back. How do I give it back? Repent. Turn away from our sin, be the actions, be the attitudes. Turn away from our sin and fix our eyes on the Lord. An explosion of the development of potential. Explosion of God working through you. You know, I guess what I'm saying is that sin is the thing that blocks the release of the potential that God has sown in us. I was struck this week by Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7 which does not appear to be in my Bible. Here it is. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. We have redemption. You know what redemption is, right? You ever pick up a pop bottle in the ditch and redeem it for a nickel? Anybody? Anybody ever do that? You bet. Made my young living as doing that. It's a worthless thing laying in the ditch. I'm going to take that. That's got value. That's got value. I'm going to redeem that. <laughs> you're laying in the ditch. Apart from Christ, you're laying in the ditch. But you've got value. Something inside of you. God has said eternity in the hearts of men, Ecclesiastes said. And God has sown in you something that he wants back. He wants to lift you up out of the ditch. And he wants to redeem you. Well, how do I participate in that? Repent. Repent. Turn away from our sin and turn to God. Okay. Now, before we go, I want you to notice that last verse of our passage in Mark chapter 1. 
He said, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In the Matthew passage, he says, with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And that was a prophetic reference to the coming of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2 when tongues of fire set on their heads when when the Holy Spirit came. That's what God wants to do. He wants to baptize us with his Holy Spirit. There are different ways to look at that. I tend to shy away from the phrase baptism of the Holy Spirit just because of some kind of cultural historical perspective that can be confusing. But uh, the short of it is God wants to wash you in his Holy Spirit. He wants to wants to put a wave of his Holy Spirit over you. This wants to just wants to bring a wave of the Holy Spirit, I believe, right down through this river right here and wash you with his Holy Spirit. And that's something that, that God does in a measure at our conversion, for sure. When you receive Christ as your Savior, you received his Holy Spirit. You got all of him. He didn't give you a third down payment. He gave you all, he got, you got all the Holy Spirit. But, but it's something God also continues to do as we walk in obedience to him. And so, for those of you who would just are dialing into this repentance message and, the, and offering God the potential that he's sown in you, it hinges on this uh, encountering the Holy Spirit. That's why, that's why I know that's why John put that there. What does this have to do with, with uh, the realization of potential? Think of it this way. You know the difference between potential energy and kinetic energy? Anybody raise your hand if you do, just so I know somebody knows what I'm talking about. Okay. So kinetic energy is, is, is something in motion, right? You're giving up energy. Potential energy is something into which energy has been sown and it's waiting to go. So some examples are a, a, a bowling ball at the top of the stairs, right, has potential energy. It's all right. Your, your children will be all right. Just, that's a good way to learn this lesson, all right? Um, I think uh, another way to think of it is a, is a, a balloon that you blow up and when you, by putting energy, by, by blowing into it and exerting force into it, then the pressure on the inside is greater than the pressure on the outside. And so it has now a potential energy, right? And when you let go of it, it goes all over the room, right? And that's kinetic energy. And, and there's, a, there's a way in thinking about your potential and what God has sown in you that I think is so important here is that you are a vessel. You're, you're the balloon, let's say. You're the bowling ball. And that's about it, right? And so as a balloon, I just say, God, would you breathe into me? Would you, would you sow your power into me so that I can have the potential energy for you to release anytime you want, anywhere you want? Right now, I'm showing kinetic energy, right? Right now, I'm giving you what I got this week, right? But I, I just, all the time, just asking God, Fill me with your breath. It's your breath in our lungs as we pour out our praise. Just fill me, God. Just breathe into me. And so that's what this Holy Spirit, being baptized in the Holy Spirit is about. It's about just offering yourself to the Lord and say, would you just breathe that energy, that life, that power into me so that I'll be in your hands and just ready to go. And, And you get there by offering yourself to God in repentance and saying, God, I'm aware of these actions, these attitudes in my life that I, I feel in my heart are not pleasing to you. I want to bring them to you. I, want, I can't make any promises without your strength. You see, people, they think repentance is promising not to do the thing again, but they forget the part of coming and being filled with the Holy Spirit so you have the power not to do the thing again, right? 
These things go hand in hand. And so if you're a person here today who is stirred by the fact that God has unrealized potential inside of you, and you want to repent of anything, anything at all that's going on in your life, turn your attention to God and just offer yourself to, be, to receive the wave of his Holy Spirit, then come on up. Yep. Yep. I thought you guys would look like this. Normal, regular people. Varieties of struggles. I have no idea what you're repentant, repenting of, and that's good. I don't need to know. You don't confess to me. You confess to God. These could be heinous things, you know, that are habitual, maybe addictive patterns in your life, and you just want to repent. You got to, I don't know how to get out. Just turn to him now. Turn away from them and to him and ask God to fill you with his Holy Spirit. You just feel like you've looked away. You just feel like, I don't know, I just, I lost my, I lost his gaze. I lost, I'm not looking at him anymore. Repentance just means to turn back toward him. It's possible there are some of you sitting out there who have never come to Christ. You've never given your life to Jesus Christ. You've never had that moment when you said, I want to ask the Lord Jesus. I want to go to the cross. I want to, I want to put my sins at, at the cross, and I want to ask Jesus Christ into my life. Well, if that's you, then I, I want to invite you to do something. Pastor Christian is going to be standing over here by this door, and I'm going to invite you, well, while we're doing all this, that you just get up from where you are and make your way over to Pastor Christian, and he will help you help you come into a relationship with Jesus as Savior and Lord of your life. He'll give you a Bible so that you have, he'll give you some, some insight into how to get started. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. We welcome you, Holy Spirit, now to come your people. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. We welcome you. You know, as you repent, just go ahead and confess. You know what? You know what's going on. I've noticed in my life that it doesn't matter if I was struggling with some big former addiction in my life, or I just have this ungodly attitude towards someone. It's the same repentance. It's the same repentance. Holy Spirit, come. What you're doing by repenting is you're, you're preparing to receive. Well, i got to tell you about Acts 3.19. It says, repent then and turn to God that your sins may be wiped out and that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. That's what, you, that's what repentance is. And some of you just need a refreshing. You just need a refreshing. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. It's possible while these people are having their time with the Lord, it's possible that some of you out here need prayer for something entirely different. Yeah, you need healing, you need finances, you need something, you need God to do something in your life. And I'm going to ask any remaining prayer ministry people, 
if you're not in this group that's up here, would you come over here to my left, your right? And would you just stand over there together and be, be ready and willing to pray for anybody who needs anything? We have some more, please? I'm sure you're here. Thank you. Thank you. Church, shall we stand together and worship the Lord, please? Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. We welcome you into the hearts of these who have come in repentance and faith. Repent then and turn to God that your sins may be wiped out and that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. I ask for the wind of the Spirit to blow from this side to that. I ask for a wave of your Holy Spirit just to wash over your seeking.